It is a blessing to be able to share the celebration of life. Brother Pete, thank you for uh, the, the dedication service already this morning. Thank you to Jennifer and to Andrew for allowing us to be a part of your family's uh, celebration. And of course, we're ready whenever you want to have your dad come back and do it again. We'll, we'll do this again. So you just let us know. Uh, actually, you don't even have to tell us. Just surprise us. It'll be okay. It is a blessing for us to be a part of that, though, as we celebrate what God has brought to this family. Uh, this morning, I want to continue in a series that I began last Sunday entitled Back to the Basics, specifically Back to the Basics of Christianity. Uh, there are certain things that uh, are foundational to who we are and to what we believe, but it would seem as though some of those things have fallen by the wayside in our culture, and yes, even within the church. The key verse for this series is found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, and it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I fear that far too many in the body of Christ have stopped growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we don't even have a clue what it means to give God the glory both now and forever. Certainly, certainly we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward the Christian faith. But I suggest that a part of that is because of the fact that often we do not truly know who we are nor what we believe. In fact, I shared some statistics last week with you that dealt with the, the fact that fewer than half of all those who would call themselves Christians believe that there is only one God or that there is only one way to God. Although John 14, 6 clearly declares that Jesus is the only way to heaven, according to a 2008 survey from Fox News that I didn't share with you last week, 83% of mainline Protestants believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. 83% of the group that we would be included with, 83% believe that there are many different ways for an individual to reach heaven. Although if Jesus Christ is truly the man that he claimed to be, if he was truly a man of integrity, and if he was truly the Son of God, one who could be trusted, when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me, then there is no other way for individuals to make it to heaven. Well, today I want us to take a look at another foundational truth of Christianity. It is a part of the creed that I had Greg read with you earlier. It is the idea that there will come a day when Jesus Christ will stand in judgment over all creation. There is a day that all of us will come before him regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done, all of us will come before the Lord. In fact, it's talked about often throughout the scriptures that there is such a day of judgment. It's a part of this idea in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, To him be glory both now and forever. In other words, even in judgment, after this life is over, after everything on this earth has passed away, there is still glory for him as we come before him. And we must bow, and we must hear his judgment take place. There are multiple occasions throughout the scriptures where we see this played out. 
Consider John chapter 5, verse 22, which declares that it is not the Father who will judge humanity, but rather the Son. Or consider Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.1, where he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. And then he instructs him on all the things that he's supposed to do as a minister of the gospel, to go and to proclaim the good news, to be faithful, to keep the word, to model it, to live it in front of other people. But it all begins with the idea that there is a day that is coming where Christ will judge all of humanity. But as we look at it this morning, I want to look at it from a very practical standpoint. The title of today's message is Tools in the Hands of God. So I brought some tools to help kind of demonstrate my message to you this morning. I don't know if I can do this where you guys will all be able to see it. So whoever gets blocked out, I'm sorry. I have a bunch of tools that I brought today. I didn't bring all of my tools because to be honest with you, I have far too many tools. And the reality is, some of them I really, I'm not really good at. In fact, I will confess to you, some of them, I don't even know what they're called. I don't know what they do. Somewhere along the way, I received these tools and they seemed very valuable. I may even have been something that I was able to use right away, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what to do with it. And I treat them like that, throw them on the floor, all kinds of stuff. There's a drill in here and some other things too, but I'm not going to put them out here. I'm going to use them here just to kind of demonstrate for you. You see all these tools that are here? I may not be the best person in the world at using them. I can handle the hammer. I can handle the drill. I can handle the screwdriver. But the fact is, I'm definitely not an expert. I got a friend who's a mechanic, and to look in his toolbox is just amazing. He's got so many tools, and you ask him what each one is, and he could tell you exactly what it does. He would tell me, hey, can you hand me the, I don't even know what, what term you use. He, he, can you hand it to me? And I'm looking, I'm thinking, hmm, I wonder which one he's talking about. Because I don't have a clue. That is not my gift. It's not the thing that I am incredibly good at. But while I may not know all that a tool does or what it's even called, there is one thing that I know about every one of these tools. They belong to me. The question of ownership has already been settled with those tools. They belong to me. And this must be the first thing that is determined as children of God. The book of Genesis reveals that a tool Excuse me. The book of Genesis reveals the fact that God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. That includes you and me. This means that as our creator, God is the one who has supreme authority over all of us. Now, as the one who created everything, you could say he owns everything. You know, our society kind of has this idea already. If there is a great tragedy regarding weather and someone is killed, or there is some building that's destroyed, what do we call it? It is an act of God. There is the assumption that as God created, he must be able, whenever he wants, to take something out as well. 
there is this assumption in society that he has that authority. But God gives us free will also. Just because he could demand us to do everything his way doesn't mean that he will. God has given us the opportunity to choose either to live for him, to actually be in a right relationship with him, to live in a way that would honor him, and to actually live as if we were his tools. Or we also have the opportunity to live for ourselves. Understand that when we choose to live for ourselves, in many ways what we are doing is we are choosing to no longer be under the ownership of Christ Jesus. We know he created the heavens and the earth, but he gives us the opportunity to either walk in his will, to walk in his grace, or he gives us the opportunity to walk away. And unfortunately, according to the book of Romans, all of us at some point or another have chosen to turn from him and to walk away. But God's love for us is amazing as he has invited us to be restored to him, giving him ownership of all of us. What does it mean to have ownership of all of us? What does it mean for God to truly be the master of our lives? I think at times we love the idea of Jesus as our savior because Jesus went and he died on a cross for us. He forgave our sins. And because of that, now we have the hope and the promise of eternal life. That is such an incredible message that all of us need to hear and need to embrace. I hope today that you love Jesus as your savior. But what does it mean for him to also be our Lord? The one who is over us, the one who is our master and in many ways has declared ownership of us. It means walking in his way as opposed to walking in our way. It means choosing to live an obedient life that says, I may want one thing, but God, if you want this, that's what I'll do. Because I belong to you. That is the ownership that God desires for his people. It's what we see in Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. As we talked about in a recent Bible study, as the Israelites were preparing to cross the Jordan and enter into the promised land, Joshua calls the people to consecrate yourselves for the Lord is about to do great things among you. This idea of consecration is truly about ownership. The term literally means to be set apart for a specific purpose as if belonging to another. And that should describe us as children of God. We belong to him. And it's up to him to determine our purpose. We see this model in the New Testament through a man named John the Baptist. In John chapter 1, verse 23, we read, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. It wasn't as much about what his message was, but he recognized who he was. He was one who would offer a voice for the Lord. He was created for that very purpose, to actually be the one to make a straight path for the Lord so that others, as Jesus came, they would be quick to respond and they would realize that he was the one that the prophet had been speaking of. 
Well, did you know that just as God had a plan for Joshua or for John the Baptist, God has a plan for you? Did you know that when you begin to realize that you are in his hands and he is the one who determines who we are and what we become, that God desires to do far more than you ever could do on your own? John the Baptist had figured this out. But just owning tools is not enough. Often the tools need to be prepared. And I have a confession to make. I actually um, just shared a few moments ago that I'm not really good with tools. Um, I'm not the guy you want to have come over and fix your siding on your house. I'm not great with taking care of my tools. I'm not, care I'm not great with a lot of things with tools. But I also confess to you that I'm not real good about being the tool either. You see, often tools need to be prepared. I have a chainsaw at home that often needs its chain to be sharpened. I've got a lawnmower that twice this summer already I've had to have in the shop to take care of different repairs. The point is, in order for me to get the best out of my tools, I often need to do a little preparation some sharpening, some cleaning, or other form of preparation, and the same is true for God. I don't like being a tool in God's hands sometimes. Not that I don't want to be used. I love when God uses me. What I don't like is how he prepares me at times. I don't like when God pinpoints brokenness within me, and he says something needs to change. I don't like when God has to grind away things that have kept me from being as sharp as I need to be. I don't like when God has to clean me up and get rid of all the filth. Many years ago, we took a mission trip to Jamaica. And while we were there, we were serving at a orphanage. And this orphanage, we arrived just as they were bathing the children. We're in the, it was a big, huge, van, probably 22 passengers, a large van. I don't think they have some of the regulations that we have on our roads here. Anyways, we pulled up and they've got at least two dozen kids that are lined up, ready for their bath, completely naked, standing there waiting for their turn in line where they are about to be hosed off. And it was a pretty strong hose. We watched as these kids, it was impressive. Uh, but I tell you what, I don't like to be the one that God has to hose off to remove the filth. I don't like when God sees filth of sin in my life and he says, you know what, if, if I'm going to use you, I'm going to have to get rid of some of the dirt, some of the things that don't belong in your life. I know that such cleansing is necessary if I am to be what God would have me be, but it still doesn't make it pleasant. According to Ephesians 5:26, this act of cleansing is exactly what Christ did for the church as he gave himself up for the church. A part of this is a cleansing from sin. It's what he described in Revelation 7:14 as a great host of people stand before the throne of God. It says, "These are they who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ has forgiven them of their sins. He has cleansed them, and that sin will never be held against them again. And I am so grateful for that cleansing. 
But this is also a cleansing that equips us for service. Ephesians 2.10 declares that, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are his handiwork. Then in 2 Timothy 2.21 we read, Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be the instruments of special purposes, made holy, useful, to the master and prepared to do any good work. The point is that we were created for God's great work, but we must be cleansed by God if we are ever going to be able to accomplish the work he has for us. Every one of you ought to see yourselves as a tool in the hand of God. Every one of us, regardless of who we are, ought to realize that God created us with a very specific purpose in mind. And he can do incredible things that we would never have imagined. Every individual in this room ought to know that God's plan for you is greater than your plan for you. It may take a great deal of preparation before that plan can be accomplished, but in the hands of the master, you become of great value. This leads to the final point of this message today. It is the fact that we ought to be about accomplishing the work of the master, not ourselves. As we do that, there are two things I want you to realize. The first is found in the words of Jesus, who said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to use this hammer and these nails to demonstrate something for you. I'll tell you, this is a nice hammer. A 16-ounce hammer, you can swing it and it actually feels really good. And when you make contact with the nail, you really feel like it's going to go in. It's got the nice claw on the back, so when you do miss, you can easily pull it off. It's, it's a great, great tool. But I got to tell you, I think I have the laziest hammer in the world. Because I set my hammer down beside those nails And I walk away and I almost expect that that hammer is going to do something. I mean, that's a good hammer. Those are good nails. When I come back, I expect those nails to be driven. But you and I both know that those nails are not going to move and neither is the hammer. The reason is because even though it may be a great hammer... As Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. This hammer is useless unless it's in the hand of his owner, the master. Some of you guys have been humorously calling me Master Mike since I got my master degree. That's not the master I'm talking about. This hammer is useless without being in the hands of the master. And I will tell you that you are too. It's not to tell you that you can't accomplish anything on your own, but I want you to realize that without Jesus Christ, everything you accomplish, everything you accomplish, you're settling for second best. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And he means it. I have one final point for you this morning. I brought only a handful of tools with me today. There are actually many more. In fact, sometimes I wonder if I need to have a yard sale just to get rid of some of the tools that are there. Not only because I don't know what they are or what they do, but 
I just realize that they are sitting in my shed and I am likely to never use them again. Well, the reality is that there are far too many tools in God's shed that they've already decided that they're never going to be used again. There are far too many people in the body of Christ who at some point or another, they saw themselves as valuable to the church, valuable to God. They wanted to be used and they wanted to make a difference. And I don't know if over time they simply reached a point where they were tired and they felt like they were worn out and they just couldn't do it anymore. But for whatever reason, they have stopped serving. Maybe their role could have changed to something else, but instead of that, they simply decided, I've done my time, I don't have to do that anymore. I will tell you, that that is a horrible place for anyone who is in the body of Christ to ever be. We were reading again in Joshua recently. We read Joshua's address, actually Caleb's address to Joshua. Joshua chapter 9. And as Caleb addresses him, he reminds him of a promise that Moses had made to him 45 years earlier. Caleb was 85 years old as he addresses him. And he makes a statement. He says that I am just as vigorous and willing to fight as I was when the promise was made back then. I'll tell you, there's a little bit of delusion probably for Caleb. Caleb probably wasn't as good and as strong as he thought he was. But the point was, he's 85 years old and he wasn't ready to quit. There are far too many tools in God's shed that have already decided I'm not going to work anymore. I'm tired, I'm worn out, and therefore I can't do anything. And God says, do I need to do a yard sale? And I don't think that's really what God would ever want to do, but I want you to understand you were created for a purpose. You say, well, how do I know God hasn't completed his purpose in me? Take a deep breath. If you were able to do that, God has not completed his purpose in you. The point is that we are all tools in God's shed. But as we are tools in his shed, he expects us to be faithfully used by him. I told you at the beginning today that this message is about God's impending judgment for all of humanity. And this is where we'll close. Just as there will come a day when I will look at all my tools and decide to discard the ones that no longer serve a purpose, one day God will do the same with his tools. Are you willing to serve as God has created you to serve? I believe very clearly that one day I will stand before him and he will either say, well done, good and faithful servant, or he will say, away from me, for I never knew you. It's a scary thought, because according to Jesus' own words, as he describes that occasion, he says there will be many who will they, they will say to him, but Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Weren't we involved with this? And he will say to them, but I never knew you. I know what I want him to say to me. And I'm going to do everything that I can to live in a way that would honor him so that when that day comes, there'll not be any question. I want to encourage you today. 
to realize that you are a tool in God's hand. You must ask yourself, what will you do with the opportunities and the privileges and the gifts and the abilities that God has given you? Some of you are already using your gifts and abilities, your talents. You're serving the Lord faithfully. Some of you, I know that there are some who came just for a dedication today, and you're part of another church. You're using your gifts and abilities, your talents. Praise the Lord for you. Thank you. But I'm telling you that if you are not yet being used by God, then you need to know that God created you for something better. It's time to decide whether you're going to be his tool or your tool. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, we are grateful for you, for the grace you've given, the times we've not been the people or the tools that we're supposed to be. Some of us, we look at our gifts and abilities and we're so full of ourselves that, you know, we, we accomplish so much outside the church, but we forget that you're the one who made all this possible. Lord, as we come before you today, Lord, we ask that you would help us to realize that we are truly in your hands. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be obedient, to live in a way that when we stand before you, we won't have to fear what you say. Rather, we will know, for we have been the tools that you created us to be. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remain in your hands. For we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. Lord, I pray that you would keep us close. Draw us nearer to you so that we might be your tools. Father, now we begin to turn to the communion table. Lord, we use this as an opportunity to draw close to you and also be reminded of your sacrifice. Lord, as we prepare to take the elements of communion, I pray that you would remind us today of what these elements mean. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that we might receive forgiveness of sins, so that we might have hope of something beyond this life. Lord, I pray today that you would be honored as we celebrate your sacrifice. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I've asked several of the individuals here today to help, and they're going to come up, and they're going to help us serve communion this, after, or this morning. As we do so, we're going to invite anyone who is a part of the body of Christ. Uh, if you're a part of another church and you are still a child of God, you are welcome to join us for this celebration of the Lord's Supper this morning. Um, I will tell you this. If you are forgiven of your sins, then you can truly appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And therefore, this is more than just a ritual. This is an opportunity for us to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. Um, as Jesus met with his disciples, he shared with them specifically about things that were about to happen. He said, this bread represents my body that is broken for you. He said, every time you eat this, you ought to do it in remembrance of me. Then he took some wine and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. Every time you drink this, you should do it in remembrance of me. 
You see, without Jesus' body being broken, his blood being shed, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus knew that, and the disciples even knew that, because in their culture, they had this idea, all the way back to the book of Genesis, that the only way to make up for sin was to have someone shed their blood, whether it was an animal, or in this case, Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Often this is done as a manner of remorse and sorrow as we celebrate this the idea of celebrating the death of Jesus sounds so crazy but we really do celebrate because we know that without the body without the blood we have no hope for eternal life but because of the body because of the blood we have a great promise there's a great future that awaits us Let's pray for the elements, and then what we'll do is we'll invite everyone to come receive the elements, but then we'll all partake of it at the same time after everyone has received the elements at their pews. Father, thank you for this opportunity now to celebrate your body and blood broken and shed for us. Lord, I pray today that as we participate, that we would be reminded of what your sacrifice has meant to us, how it has changed us, how we have been made new. Lord, may you be honored today as we celebrate your sacrifice. Help us, though, to take this beyond just this moment and this service, but help us, Lord, to live as those who truly have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, to continually be aware of your sacrifice and what it has meant. Lord, help us to live as those who truly know what it costs you for us to have this gift. In your name we pray, amen. We invite you now to come if you would like and receive the elements from these individuals.
anyone else who would like to receive the elements that is unable to come forward to receive them? disciples. He shared with them about the idea of brokenness. And although we celebrate his body being broken, I am reminded today of his brokenness as he approached Jerusalem. And he wept over a city as he was about to be with them, yet they did not truly appreciate what was about to happen. Do you appreciate today what Jesus Christ has done for you? His body being broken and his blood being shed. Does he celebrate with you? Do you celebrate with him? Or does he grieve over us? Because here we are, we do not truly understand what his sacrifice meant. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, I simply ask that you would remind us today of how good you are to us. We confess there have been times we've fallen short and we seek your forgiveness. We ask that your grace would wash away those sins, that we would truly be cleansed. Now, Lord, we come before you and we just want to say thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you for the blood that was shed. As we partake of these elements now, may you be honored. Christ's name, amen. He met with the disciples. He took the bread. He said, this represents my body that is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. Then he took the wine, in our case, grape juice. And he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no payment. There is no forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. Father, again, we thank you for the sacrifice. Help us to live like it means something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I will encourage you, if you have cups in your pews, leave them there. We'll come back and we'll get them afterwards. Don't worry about them. We'll take care of it. Thank you so much for being a part of the service. Thank you to those who have served here this morning. May the Lord be blessed as we go and serve him. We're dismissed.